2 Samuel chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king. Whoops. Little slip of the tongue. Ahithophel calls him the king. Wait a minute, I thought Absalom was the king. Oh, it's a bummer when those little, it's, we, we, we can now call it, instead of a Freudian slip, an Ahithophel slip. In verse 3 it says, Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return, except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place and it will be when some of them who are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place. Where he may be found and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he is withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall come and bring ropes to that city. And we will pull it into the river until there's not one small stone found there. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed in in Rogel, for they dared not see the coming of the city to the city into the city. Um, so a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They've gone over the water brook, and when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had gone over the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself, and died. 
and he was buried in his father's tomb. Then David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the, cap- of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodebar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rojalim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. In this part of Second Samuel, remember, David has peacefully left Jerusalem so that there would not be a bloodbath. Absalom, his rebellious son, has come into the city and occupied the city. There are two key people, obviously, Ahithophel and Hushai. And again, for those of you who don't remember, Hushai met David on the Mount of Olives as he was fleeing from the city and begged Hushai to go back into the court and become a spy in the, in the throne room so that he could overthrow the council of Ahithophel who had defected and who had joined Absalom's rebellion. It was Blaise Pascal, the very famous French philosopher, who said, we are better persuaded by the reasons we discover ourselves than by those given to us by others. In other words, he was talking about advice. And the advice that we tend to embrace is the advice that we find out for ourselves. Ever since I was a little kid, people came to me for advice. Even when I started kindergarten, The other kids would come to me and say, what kind of lunch pail do you think that I should get? I had a Beanie and Cecil lunch pail because it rocked the house. And as I grew older, people would continue to ask for advice. And as you can imagine, advice typically comes in two forms. Good advice and, yeah, bad advice. I wish I could have told all of you who are old enough to buy silver when it was a dollar and 35 cents an ounce. I wish I could have told you to buy gold when it was $45 an ounce. Now, most of you aren't old enough to remember, but you know the advice, buy low and sell high. Yeah, this is good advice. What can we learn from this chapter about giving and receiving advice? Because that's part of the point that is going to be made throughout the chapter. And the very first thing is something that you've known for a very long time. It's something that your mother and father told you. It's something that your grandma or grandpa told you. It's something that your seventh grade math teacher told you. Consider the source. In other words, when you're getting advice, consider the source. And why should you consider the source? Because the source may have motives that are quite different from what's best for you. Typically, when you ask a person for advice, you typically assume that they have your best interest in mind. But that's not always true. Advice is only as good as the source it comes from, but there's more. And the more is, you should always ask and answer the question, who's giving this advice? And what is their motive? And so the chapter begins with good advice from a bad source. That's Ahithophel. Good advice from a bad source. Look again in verse 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, remember, because of the last chapter, we're in the city. Dad's fleeing for his life. What should we do? And so Ahithophel is giving advice. Ahithophel says to Absalom, now let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David Tonight, 
This advice is good advice because David is weak and David is weary and David is hurt and David is in pain and David is against the ropes. Now remember, Ahithophel is the king's trusted counselor and and Ahithophel is Absalom's best weapon to defeat David. Ahithophel in his bad advice is the best weapon that Absalom possesses in order to defeat David. And guess what Satan's best weapon is to defeat you? Satan's best weapon to defeat you is for you to listen to bad advice. And remember, advice is going to come from two sources generally. Good sources and bad sources. As you know, the Bible is a reliable source. The, the Bible gives you a mechanism whereby you can hear from God. And so the best weapon that Satan has to thwart you is to get you to listen to voices from this world and to get you to listen to voices that are inconsistent with what God would have for you. Remember, Absalom advised David, or excuse me, Absalom advised... Uh, Ahithophel advised Absalom to take his father's concubines, have sex with them in the open so that he would burn the bridges so that there was no chance whatsoever that the son could be reconciled to the father because Ahithophel knew he had burned his bridges. And so, that's the devil's counsel. The devil's counsel is sin in such a way that the voice will whisper inside of your ear that God will never take you back. And you've probably, some of you have heard that voice. Uh-oh, you've blown it now. I mean, it was one thing for you to be an unbeliever, but now that you're a believer, how can you possibly justify what you've done? And you've rubbed a hole where 1 John 1.9 is in your Bible and you've wept tears and, and, you've, and you've claimed the promise over and over and over again and you're sick of your sin and the devil whispers in your ear that, the, that God is sick of your sin too. God's not going to take you back. But that's bad advice because the Bible is still true. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is hope you see, if your life is sent, spent in sorrow and suffering and pain and detachment and you're constantly worried about your wickedness and you're constantly worried about your circumstances, if ever there was a time for you to get good advice, it's now. Now remember, Ahithophel was viewed as the leading advice giver of his generation. Ahithophel was Dr. Laura, Dr. Phil, Dear Abby, and Oprah all rolled into one. Remember in the last chapter, in, in chapter 16, verse 23, where it says, Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. In other words, this is a guy who gave the best advice possible. Now beware. Because... Often you might find your circumstance in a circumstance where they seem to have the best counselors and the best advice. But God is able to thwart even the best advice that the world has to offer. Beware when a leader's advice is seen almost as good as hearing it from God himself. Any leader worth her salt or worth his salt should be willing to tell you, it doesn't matter what I think. The most important thing is for you to think about what God thinks. To ask and answer the question, what does the Lord think about your circumstance? What has Jesus revealed about your circumstance? Ahithophel had sound judgment. He had wise words and he had the ability to influence people. By the way, in our culture and society, we have people like that. If you have lived through the 80s and the 90s, if several administrations would listen to Alan Greenspan and Ben Bernanke as if they were hearing from God himself. Oh, great Alan Greenspan, 
Look into the economy and tell us, what does the future hold? Hey, you know, when you're charting the financial and economic waters of a gigantic economy and you're trying to keep it from ruin, it takes some pretty smart people to be able to negotiate that. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up to you, Ahithophel had that kind of clout in the ancient court of David. When he spoke, people listened. Now remember, most people get advice from one of three sources. In the ancient world, when a person wanted to know what God had to say, they would get direction from the priests, or they would get direction from the word of God, or prophetic words, or they would get advice from wise counsel. And so we know that we all need advice from time to time, but we must always consider the source of the information. And more than that, we have to consider the motive of the source of that information. Now, here's what we learn right from the start as we read the chapter and we continue in it. Ahithophel's plan is way better than Hushai's plan. Why? Because David will have no time to act. And when I read the passage, I thought, you know what? This plan of Ahithophel reminds me of another plan in the New Testament. Remember when Jesus' ministry was unfolding and a lot of people listened to Judas? Remember Judas went to the chief priests and, and he said to them, Hey, what will you give me if I hand this man over to you? You know what I was thinking? I was thinking that I wonder if it was Judas's plan, the same plan. Strike the shepherd. Let the others go free. Destroy one man so that the nation could be saved. Just for a moment. Just for a moment. Is it possible that Ahithophel's advice in his wicked, broken, distorted, angry, and bitter mind, that he thought it was very good advice. We've got to get rid of David. Here is the David who killed Uriah, who defiled my daughter. Here is this hypocrite who finds himself as king of the country. And Ahithophel takes it upon himself that this guy's got to go. That there's not enough grace, there's not enough forgiveness in God's heart for him to stay. And so he's thinking, I am the one who's going to transition the leadership of the country. I'm thinking that Judas had the same thoughts in mind. But you know what Judas and Ahithophel shared? It was that their plan wasn't from God at all. It was from Satan. You know, I heard the story of a man who was on a golf course and the club pro, Maury, brought an important looking man out for a lesson and Maury watched the guy swing several times and, and he started making suggestions for improvement. But each time the pupil interrupted him with his own version of what was wrong and how to correct it. And after a few minutes of this interference by the pupil, Maury began just listening to the guy and nodding in agreement and nodding. And at the end of the lesson, the man paid Maury, congratulated him on his expert advice as a teacher. And he left obviously pleased in a, in a pleased frame of mind. And the observer was so astonished by the performance that he said, hey, why did you go along with this guy? And the old pro said, son, as he put the money in his pocket, I learned a long time ago that it's a waste of time to sell answers to a man who only wants to hear the echoes of his own voice. It's true, isn't it? There are people who will come to you for advice, but they have no interest in taking your advice whatsoever because they've already made up their minds. I think Absalom was open to the advice but the reason why he's going to fall prey to a different advice is found in the opening verse. Moreover, Ahithophel said, I'm going to take 12,000. You choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. Who's going to lead the, the charge? Ahithophel. Who's going to find David and kill him? Ahithophel. Who's going to get all the honor and praise and glory for killing the king? Ahithophel. I'll come upon him while he's weary and weak and make him afraid and all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king. <gasps> There's the slip of the tongue. 
Ahithophel in his mind knows he's still the king. You know, I wonder if Judas had the same sense when he betrayed King Jesus. Clearly, he knew he was wrong. Remember, he goes back to the chief priests and he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. And the Bible says that he took the betrayal money and he tossed it onto the temple precinct. And the Bible says that he went and he hung himself. In verse 3, it says, Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. In other words, Ahithophel refers to Absalom's father as the man you seek. You know why that that little phrase in verse 3 is important? He doesn't say, then I will bring back all the people to you when all return except the man you seek. Instead of saying, except your father. There's a reason why he says, except your father. Because guess what? Bad advice obscures friendship and relationship. Bad advice separates families. Bad advice keeps people from God. Bad advice keeps husbands from wives. Bad advice divides families. Bad advice splits churches. And it says, And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And in verse 5 it says, Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite, and let us hear what he says too. Now remember, Hushai is a plant. He is there as a spy. David has prayed earlier, Heavenly Father, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. Hushai's advice is in fact an answer to David's prayer. It says in verse 5, Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai. Verse 6, And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. In other words, what we just read. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai says to Absalom, Now think about this. He's got to think on his feet. He's got to think immediately. He's got to think of a plan that's going to defeat the council. And the way that he's going to do that is he's going to appeal to Absalom's vanity and conceit. So now we go to bad advice from a good source. Now think about this. Hushai is purposely giving him bad advice. For what reason? To thwart his wicked plans. Now, I want you to note several things about Hushai's advice. It's meant to buy time for David and his entourage Listen as we, as we go through the advice rather quickly. So Hushai says to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. In other words, you'll note what he doesn't do. He doesn't say Ahithophel gives bad advice because that's simply not true. Ahithophel gives good advice. And even the best advice giver will sometimes give the right advice at the wrong time. And so he says, for said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men. Now, remember what what Hushai is doing right at this very moment. He's causing in Absalom's mind a picture to emerge, not of how his father is in the here and the now, but how his father was in the past. He grew up with David. By the way, is David a mighty man of God? When you're a teenager and you kill a giant and it makes headlines and it is the talk of the town, clearly those of you who have followed along in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel Samuel know that he is a mighty man. And when we talked about the entourage of all of the people who are with him, how they kill 20, 40, 60 people at a time, it makes perfect sense. They are mighty men and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Are they enraged in their minds? They're not. They're scared. They're frightened. And the reason why they're frightened? Because they're weak and they're vulnerable. But does Absalom know that? No. No. Bad advice from a good source. 
and this is very, very interesting to me. And your father is a man of war, and he will not camp with the people. In other words, Absalom also knows something about his father. Does his father, is he wise? Yes, he is. Is he a great general? Yes, he is. Is he purposely going to put the people at risk? No, he is not. Surely by now he's hidden in some pit. Your dad's like a Osama bin Laden. He's in some spider hole in the middle of Pakistan. You'll never find him. You can have all of the resources of the entire nation and you're not going to be able to find this dude. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there's a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. In other words, you're going to meet him. It's going to be a terrible disaster. And all of the people are going to turn against you because you can't get rid of your dad. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man. And those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you. Hey, look, in order to defeat your dad, you're going to need the entire backing of the nation. From Dan to Beersheba. From Dan to Beersheba is an idiomatic expression which means Dan at the very, very north of the country. Beersheba is at the very, very south. It would be like if we said from New York to Spain. Not Spain, Maine. Maine. And San Francisco, that's what I meant. I was thinking about, about my, my dad. My dad, when I would used to ask my dad, Dad, where have you been? He'd say, you know, I've been everywhere. I've been from Maine to Spain. So his, I'm hearing my dad's voice in the back of my head, but really I want to say from San Francisco to Maine. So it's like from the length and breadth of the country. He says, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, you go into battle in, in person. Now note, he goes, and you go into battle in person. <gasps> Remember Ahithophel's advice? I'll go and take care of this. Hushai says, gather the entire country and prove to them that you're a mighty man as well. Prove to them that you are a valiant warrior, but also make sure that the odds are overwhelmingly in your favor. That's what he's saying. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found. We'll fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. In other words, kill everyone who follows your father. Make sure that there's no division. Make sure that no one survives. Now, again, Hushai knows the plan could backfire in a big way. Even as he's giving the plan, he's, as he's giving the plan, he has to figure out, how am I going to warn David? But even as he's trying to give the plan, figure out how he's going to warn David, he's playing a psychological game with Absalom. Hushai appeals to the young man's pride and vanity and conceit. Hushai suggests that he lead the army himself so that he can get the glory. And the moment that he does this, this appeals to Absalom's self-absorption and conceit. You're in charge, right? Then act like a person who's in charge. Now, but here's the deal. The moment that Absalom determines that he is going to provide the mental, intellectual strategy in order to defeat David, he's lost. He will lose. And the reason why he will lose is because God has given David supernatural wisdom and understanding. And this becomes important. I would be lying to you if I told you that Satan wasn't smart. And I'd be telling you an even bigger lie if I suggested that any one of you are smarter than Satan. But, say, but sin has this peculiar property. Sin corrupts and sin distorts. Sin makes it not possible to think clearly or logically. Wickedness and sin distorts 
perverts and corrupts your ability to think things through. And that's exactly what's happening. (laughs) And the moment that Absalom says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lead the campaign. It meant death for Absalom. Absalom is going to die on a tree. And so Ahithophel is going to kill himself. So Hushai uses clever tactics to persuade Absalom. And by the way, persuasion is the goal of advice, isn't it? Whenever someone gives advice or receives advice, the whole goal of advice is to persuade the person who you're giving the advice to or who you're receiving advice from. And look on what basis Hushai persuades. Hushai appeals to fear. He appeals to glory and Absalom's desire for personal achievement. And the moment that he appeals to fear, and here's the fear, your dad is way more dangerous than you're remembering. If you underestimate your dad, you're going to be in big trouble. And by the way, Ahithophel had told David, or Ahithophel said that David would be weak and weary. But Hushai describes David's state of mind as like a bear robbed of her cubs in verse 8. So which is it? Weak and weary or a lion ready to pounce? You know what? Believe it or not, Ahithophel's advice is better and truer of his state of mind. He reminds Absalom, the son of his father's military might, his experience and strength. Now, the reason why this becomes so important when you're thinking about advice is because fear is a powerful motivator, isn't it? Fear is a powerful motivator. Many of us make decisions based on fear. And remember, you and I have had conversations over and over again about fear. And remember what the essence of fear is. It's loss. If we were to take the word fear and boil it down to one other word, it would be loss. I could lose my husband. I could lose my wife. I could lose my family. I could lose my job. I could lose the future. I could lose this. I could lose esteem. I could lose. I could lose. I could lose. And the moment that you give into that fear, guess what? You're controlled by it, isn't it? The thing that you feel. Fear controls you. That's the bad news. You know what's the good news? The thing that you love has the ability to control you if you will allow it. Now, hopefully, the thing that you love is the Lord. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you allow the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to control you, then the fear will go away. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Remember, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Now, here's the relationship between love and fear. Fear is I could lose something. Love is I'm willingly, voluntarily willing To set this aside. In other words, it's when you make the choice to give up something that never belonged to you anyway. By the way, does your wife or your husband belong to you? No. Does your children belong to you? No. Does the job that you have belong to you? No. Does the career that you have belong to you? No. Is the future guaranteed for you? No. Is it possible that the same God who gave you resources can take them away? The answer is yes. And the reality is if something can be taken away from you, you have to consciously and specifically ask this question, is it worth having? And that's, that's what's happening here. Fear is one of the strongest emotions that can motivate people to go in the wrong direction. And fear is even used in the church to get people to do things, to participate things, to manipulate people into action. People will hear messages from churches, Oh, brother, sister, unless you give to this ministry, we're going under. Have you ever heard me even one time say to you, unless you give to this church, we're going under. 
You know why? Because if we're going under, maybe that's the best possible thing that could ever happen. Why would you want to support a ministry that's constantly begging for money, that's constantly begging for resources? Fear is used to manipulate people into doing things that they're not prepared to do. And so Hushai continues with the idea that David is already separated from the families and is holed up. And so he suggests, I'm even going to go so far as to say threaten. Hushai threatens, listen carefully, Hushai threatens that if Absalom follows the advice of Ahithophel, the rumors are going to grow and the rumors are going to spread. That's what it means in verse 9 when it says, Surely by now he's hidden. And at the end it says, And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, There's a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. In other words, the rumors are going to grow. What were we thinking? Why did we ever follow Absalom to begin with? What a mistake. What a horrible mistake. What a tragic mistake. What a terrible idea. One Bible Writer Chafin writes, quote, This passage is a classic example of the fact that the person who can make you afraid can eventually control you. That's true. This reminds me of some so-called prophecy newsletters that are filled with information meant to generate more heat than light. You know, you'll hear on TV or you'll listen on the radio or you'll go to their website and they'll try and fill your hearts with fear. Hey, you know what? The country's ready to collapse. The church is ready to go into an apostate circumstance. And guess what? We're all going to hell in a handbasket. So go to Idaho, buy guns, gold, and groceries. And guess what? Send me your best gift. Hey, you know what? If a ministry can control you by fear, it controls you. Religion based on fear alone will not liberate, it will enslave. Doesn't that make sense to you? Authentic faith and genuine hope wants to experience love, but that love has to be the love of Jesus, which is rooted in the love of God, which is rooted in faith in Jesus Christ, which is rooted in the expression of that gospel which appears in the Bible. So Hushai basically flatters Absalom's bloated ego. And so the need to flatter, by the way, seems to go with the need to manipulate. And so beware when those two things come together. When you get flattery and fear, make sure that manipulation isn't the hidden agenda. And so Hushai needed to delay any action against David. And so he plays on his fear and he plays on his ego. And so it says in verse 13, Moreover, if he's withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes into that city, and we will pull it into the river, and there is not one small stone. He's using a metaphor that the nation itself will drag David out of whatever hole he finds himself in. So Absalom and the men of Israel said, hmm, the advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel for the Lord. And here's the key. This is the key, the key, the key concept. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. You know, you've read in your Bible, some of you believe it, some of you don't. You've read in your Bible in Romans chapter 8 where it says, For God works all things together for good for those who love him. For the Lord causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. And when you're in the fire, when you're in the circumstance, when you're in the horrible situation that you find yourself in and you wonder, how is God in the loss of my marriage or the loss of my job or the loss of my health? How, where is God in all of this? 
how is it possible that my daughter or my son or my brother or my sister or my mother or my father listens to this bad advice and finds themselves in a series of circumstances that I have no idea or any explanation? And my only answer is this. The Lord has purposed to answer David's prayer and defeat the plan of Absalom. Why is that important to you? Because the Lord, the Lord has purposed to see you through the circumstance that you find yourself in. The Lord has purposed in his heart to love you and to save you, to redeem you and to forgive you and to reconcile you to himself. And the plan of Satan is to make your life miserable, to make your marriage miserable, to make your circumstances miserable so that you won't be used by God. But God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan that includes not wickedness, but grace. The Lord isn't trying to get rid of you. The Lord is trying to bring you to a place of submission and humility so that your life will become a, a marker of his grace and his mercy and his love. That's what's happening. The Lord has purposed to answer David's prayer and defeat the plan of Absalom. And so now think, I want you to think about this. God is going to correct David. But God's plan isn't to crush him. Correct him? Yes. Crush him? No. You might be thinking, it feels like God's plan is to, like, get rid of me. <laughs> but that's not God's plan. Trust me. If God's plan were to get rid of you, you would already be gone. God brought David to the throne. God will prepare David and perfect David. God used Absalom's fear and his ego and his lack of discernment to his own advantage. Again, Chafin writes, it is a reminder that counsel is never any better than the person who hears it. Now think about that. Counsel is never any better than the person who hears it. Not who gives it. You, you need to understand that. The counsel is only as good as the person who's listening, not the person who's speaking. And when one's character is tainted with hatred or ambition or pride, it's real hard to make good choices. And so, be careful. But remember, God is in control. You know, I interviewed Pat Boone shortly after the death of Michael Jackson. It was just one of those providential circumstances where, where Pat Boone happened to be in town. And, and it was maybe one or two days after the death of Michael Jackson. And, and, and you may not know this, but there was a time when Pat Boone was more popular than Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson. Pat Boone in his day was a superstar. He was a megastar. And... Uh, when Pat was interviewed after Elvis's death, Pat Boone remarked, I cared a lot for Elvis, he said, but he went in the wrong direction. Ironically, when we met for the last time, I was going to do a show back east, and, and Elvis was going to Las Vegas, and Elvis said to me, say, say Pat, where are you going? <laughs> and I told him I was, I was going into Christian ministry, that I was looking forward to loving and serving the Lord in a Christian ministry. And Elvis said to me, Hey, Pat, I'm going to Las Vegas. Pat, as long as I've known you, you've been going in the wrong direction. Pat Boone said, Elvis, that just depends on where you're coming from. The right direction? The wrong direction? 
Pat Boone said, you know what? Here's the direction that my life is going to take. I'm going to honor God and I'm going to serve God and I'm going to love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to allow God to dictate the terms of my life and my ministry and the direction that I'm going to go. When Elvis died, remember he died of a drug overdose. When I talked with Pat Boone after, <laughs> after Michael Jackson's death, I said, I, I told him, you know, because my mom did, my mom loved Pat Boone. And I said, Pat, one day the world is going to announce that you're dead. That they're going to they're gonna be reminded that there was a time when you were more famous than Elvis and you were more famous than Michael Jackson. And you're going to go on the news cycle and you're going to be on CNN and Fox News and Larry King Live and the news channels and the media outlets. And they're going to play some of your songs and they're going to play some clips of the movie. And they're going to do these things and they're going to say these things about you. But what is the most important point that you hope that they will remember about you? And Pat Boone smiled. And he said, you know the answer, Gino. I hope they're going to talk about my love for the Lord Jesus Christ and my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to hope that they're going to talk about the fact that when push came to shove, I wanted to honor God. And I wanted to serve God. And I wanted to obey God. And I looked at him and I said, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that you would be sitting at a microphone because you had outlived Michael Jackson? And he hung his head. And he shook his head. Because he knew about the pain and he knew about the sorrow and he knew about how easily it is to be, to be sucked into a world that doesn't really care about you at all. If this chapter should tell you anything about advice, it should remind you of this. It is always a bad idea to take advice from the people who hate you instead of love you. Do you mind if I repeat that? It's always a bad circumstance and it's always bad to take advice from people who hate you instead of love you. And so David is warned in verse 15. Look what it says. Then Hushai, I said to Zadok and Abiathar, remember they're the priests and they're in on it. Thus and so, thus and so. Ahithophel, there he's just remarking this, the advice. Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel and thus and so I have advised. Rather than repeat all of it, he just says thus and so. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David saying, do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Here's Here's Hushai's advice. In case Absalom changes his mind, if ever there was a time for you to get out of Dodge, it's now. Leave. Leave the wilderness. Cross the Jordan. Find a place of escape. Do it quickly. Do it now. Because remember, remember, remember. They don't know whose advice is going to be taken. And in verse 17, now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed in Rogel, for they, they dared not see, be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell the King David. So there had to be layers of intrigue as they passed on the communication, if you will. And so that's the idea. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom... In other words, oh, there's something sneaky going on. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. And that's, in other words, that's where they hid. Then the woman took and, uh, and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread around grain on it, disguising it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman and, and the house, they said, where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, oh, they've gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and they could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now, it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus as Ahithophel advised against you. So David 
And all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. Note, note something. Note something. David follows the advice of Hushai immediately. Why? Because he knows who loves him and he knows who hates him. He knows who has his best interest in mind and he knows who has his worst interest in mind. And so in verse 23, it records the suicide of Ahithophel. And by the way, so it says, Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went, and he put his household in order and hanged himself and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. And that's the end of him. You know, how do you do that? How do you live in a world where you rationally and reasonably go, you saddle your donkey, you get your affairs in order, and you kill yourself? How do you combine that kind of craziness and calm, that kind of premeditation? You understand what's happening when Ahithophel sees that his advice is rejected, he wickedly and selfishly decides to kill himself. Just like Judas. Judas's counsel was rejected. Remember, hey, take the spikenard, the ointment, sell it, give it to the proceeds to the poor. But remember, the Bible says he doesn't care about the poor. The Bible says he was a thief and he wanted to pocket the money for himself. I want you to listen carefully. Judas never loved Jesus. Ahithophel never loved David. Judas never loved Jesus. Ahithophel never loved David. He was bitter. He was angry. His heart was filled with bitterness and anger. David had soiled the family name and ruined Bathsheba. And it never even once, it never even once, it never even once occurred to Ahithophel that God would take the wicked circumstances and that even in this wickedness and even in this wicked circumstance that God had a plan for grace and that God had a plan for mercy and that God had a plan for love and that God had a plan for good and that he had a plan for restoration because God really wanted to cause all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are the called according to his purposes. It never occurred to him that God could take something so wicked and so wrong and redeem the situation. And sometimes it doesn't even occur to you that God can take the injury or the abuse or the treachery or the betrayal and cause even that to exalt his name, to expand his kingdom, to grow you up. For some of you, it never occurred to you that you even had permission to let go of the bitterness and let go of the anger and let go of, of whatever wrong or wicked thing that happened to you. Why did Ahithophel kill himself? Do you think it was because of rejection? Maybe in part, but I, I have to believe that there's another reason. Ahithophel probably killed himself because he knew he knew, he knew the delay would result in Absalom's eventual defeat. Ahithophel knew, not simply that his advice was rejected, but because his advice was rejected and because Absalom would place himself in this position of vanity and conceit that his father would somehow emerge victorious. And when he does emerge victorious, who's the first person that he's going to be coming for? Ahithophel made his choice. And I am sure Ahithophel did not want David to hunt him down and execute him. 
And Judas made his choice. You know, Peter was a great big disappointment to Jesus. But Peter was restored. Judas was a great big disappointment. But even up to the end, even up to the end, Jesus says to Judas, friend, is Jesus a liar? A prevaricator? A a person who misrepresents himself in any way? He says, friend, what are you doing here? And remember, Judas kissed him. And do you remember Jesus' response? What you do. Do quickly. When someone is committed to betraying you, when someone is committed to hurting you, when someone has made the commitment to pull out all the stops and to make sure that your life is miserable, sometimes the only prayer that you can pray is, hey, whatever you're going to do, just get it over with. When leadership turns down the wisest of advice, When a leadership turns down good advice, that leadership is doomed to failure. And when we make choices based on fear and ignorance, we doom ourselves to trouble. And we're coming towards the end. Look what it says. (laughs) Now, it says... So they crossed over, verse 24, then David went to Mahanim, in verse 24. And Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men with him. And Absalom made Amasa the captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So this is Absalom's cousin, And David's nephew. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. In verse 27 it says now. So here's the the deal. Absalom appoints a less experienced general. And because he appoints a less experienced general. It's going to be a very bad mistake down the road. And then in verse 27 it says now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim. Um, that Shobi, that son of Nahash from Rabbah, and the people of Ammon, Makir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and uh, Barzaleah, the Gileadite from Rojalim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curd, sheep, cheese for the herd, David and the people who were with him to eat, for they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Now, in verse 27, what do we know about Mahanim? This is a walled city that was occupied by Ishbosheth. David can defend this city. So when he goes into Mahanim, this is a, is a defensible position in order to deal with the issues that he's going to be struggling with. And so that's where David goes. Now remember, this is part of the point of the chapter. Advice is never a good substitute for beans and rice. <laughs> the reason why I even say that, I had a guy come to me when I was working at the, at the welfare department at the Department of Social Services, he said to me, I haven't eaten anything in three days. And I said, look, I just ate today. Food still tastes the same. Yeah, that's not what he was looking for. He was looking for some food. Now, again, he goes to a place that can be defended. He also has friends who are willing to help him. And that becomes the important point for each and every one of us. Mahanim, by the way, it says when Jacob, in, in Genesis 32, uh, Genesis 32, 2, it says, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp, speaking of the angels. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. This is the place where Jacob had camped many centuries earlier. This is the place where angels ministered to Jacob. This was a a place that was in the middle of nowhere that was desolate. Jacob was on his way home to meet his brother Esau after a long period of estrangement, 14 years. And when Jacob left, Esau had one thing on his mind. I want to kill my brother Jacob. Now, Absalom has one thing on his mind. I want to kill my dad. So David goes to the place where Jacob was met by angels. 
heavenly messengers who ministered to him in desperate circumstances. So he goes to the place in the Bible where people who were in desperate circumstances needed supernatural assistance. That becomes a principle for you. When you find yourself in a circumstance that you don't know how to deal with, go to the place in the Bible where the Bible speaks about a supernatural provision for you. And by the way, real friends show up. The real friends, three men who make provision in the wilderness, what do they bring? They bring beds, they bring basins, they bring beans, they bring pottery, they bring vegetables, they bring honey, they bring sheep, they bring cheese. Because when you're in the middle of nowhere with nothing to eat, Guess what is the best possible thing you could come up with? Food to eat and something to sleep on. That's exactly what's, what's happening. And so he has real friends. Who are these guys? Shobi, the son of Nahash, Makir, and Barzillai. Don't these sound like Hebrew energy drinks? Drink Shobi. Drink Makir. Drink Barzillai. No, Shobi was an Ammonite. These were the age-old enemies of David and the children of Israel. Shobi was the kind of guy who could have said, David has fought my people, warred against them, enslaved them. In other words, Shobi is a descendant of people who were enemies of David's people. This is the same argument many black people in America can make against white population. Hey, yeah, you're the people who brought us over from Africa and slaved us, and we worked the fields. In other words, the economy of this country was built on our sweat equity. Why should I help these people? They practice slavery, segregation, and humiliation. By the way, do Jews have legitimate complaints against the Germans? Do Native Americans have legitimate complaints against people who came to this country? Do the Nuggets have a legitimate complaint against the Lakers? Well, here's the whole point. Here's a guy who grew up in circumstances, and now he's there helping David. Makir, by the way, was the son of Amiel, who was from Lodabar. And some of you may not remember Lodabar. This is ancient Israel's version of the hood or the ghetto. Think Commerce City, when you see low Debar. Think of trailer parks. Think of the poor of the poorest of the poor. Remember, Lodabar is the dump where they found Mephibosheth. This was the place where he was hiding. This is a refugee camp. This is a refuse dump. After the death of his father and grandfather, Jonathan and Saul, this is the place where Mephibosheth was from. Remember, Lodabar means no pasture land. This is the place in the original language. Lo Debar means this is the place where the cattle dies. And Makir was the man who took Mephibosheth into his home in the hood, in the ghetto. Makir is a poor man who's taking someone even poorer than him into his home. And what about Barzillai? I love the name because it sounds so Italian. In the next chapter, we're going to discover that Barzillai is 80 years old. Barzillai is the guy who has, you, you never give him toothpaste because he has no teeth. Barzillai is the guy who gets to eat free with the senior discount at Hometown Buffet. Barzillai is the guy who would have said, I'm old, I'm retired, I'm on a fixed income, let someone younger help David. Now, get who these three guys are. The oppressed, the poor, and the elderly. Who's coming to David's rescue? Rich friends? No. This is the oppressed. This is the poor. This is the elderly. These are the people who come to David's rescue in the middle of the wilderness. You know what's really interesting to me in the Bible? How the poor and the oppressed and the elderly are way more likely to be generous 
than the people who have everything. And then young people. They're not looking for reward. They're not looking for applause. They're not looking for appreciation. These are just simply people that God has filled their heart to help David in a time of need. And every once in a while, when you find yourself driven into the wilderness, when you find yourself driven into a circumstance that you have no desire to be in whatsoever, don't be shocked or don't be surprised if someone poor, if someone oppressed, if someone way older than you shows up and says, I'm here to help you. God sent me here to help you. By the way, these guys load up whatever they can beg or borrow in order to help. And the advice of Hushai was meant to counter the advice of Ahithophel. God is going to use this circumstance to frustrate the plans of the wicked and accomplish the plan of God. And that becomes the key concept for you. Thank God that David heeded Hushai's advice. And the supplies brought by David's friends represent the fact that help comes from unexpected people in unexpected places. Have you ever prayed the prayer? Lord, I'm in the middle of some place where I actually don't want to be. <laughs> so send somebody rich, send somebody famous. Send somebody who can bail me out. And God sends the poor. And God sends the elderly. And God sends <laughs> the oppressed. <laughs> but they come bringing exactly what you need in order to make it. Uh, but there's going to be more next week here. We're going to stop. Heavenly Father, we pray. We thank you for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, we know that there's all kinds of advice. Lord, I pray for that person who, for whatever reason, took advice from someone who hated them instead of loved them. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that your advice can be trusted. That if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us. That, Lord, if we take your advice, if we will turn from our sin and we will turn to you, that you'll receive us and you won't reject us. You'll forgive us instead of hold our sin against us. And, Lord, that no matter how bad the bitterness or the anger or the hurt or the abuse, that, Lord, we have a great option, one that we want to exercise. And that's to understand that in spite of all of the wickedness and the pain that we ourselves may have been a party to. That you're a good God and a great God who can redeem things. That you really can cause all things to work together for good for those who love you. Lord, forgive us when we wickedly, foolishly refuse to see things from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's.